Hi there. I'm Michael Marvash, and this is The Dead Man's Forest, a weekly conversation where we wonder together about existence and meaning and share what we've learned with each other. It's been a while since I came up to the mountain to talk with you by myself. And I have missed this, even the rainy days like today. We just watched Saving Mrs. Banks, a movie about Mrs. R.L. Travers, who created Mary Poppins. And she is this very proper, somewhat dour British lady. And in one scene, she's sitting in the back of her car talking to her driver, and he comments on the nice, sunny California day. And she says that she prefers rainy days. He asks her why. She says, because the rain brings life. And he says, so does the sun. And her reply to that is just, be quiet. It's so stereotypically British to enjoy the rain like that and to respond with a short, be quiet, when confronted with something that disagrees with us. Perhaps that reaction, be quiet, whether voiced or not, can be a signal to us that maybe we have something to learn, just like Mrs. Travers did. I've been reading a lot lately. I just finished an excellent book titled The Beginning of Infinity that I believe will be shaping my thoughts for some time to come. I'd like to share some of those burgeoning thoughts with you today, as well as some of the ways they relate to previous conversations from the Dead Man's Forest. If you don't know the story of Dead Man's Forest, by the way, it's based on a dream I had while on a vision fast in Death Valley. And in the dream I saw a wasteland where nothing grew, the ground was dry and cracked, and the sky was gray. And in the middle of the wasteland sat a dead man. But curiously, out of the neck of his sweater, where his head and his heart should have been, grew a living forest in the midst of all this death. And I realized the man died with all of this beautiful knowledge and wisdom in his head and his heart, represented by the living forest. But he had clearly never shared it because it didn't grow in the landscape around him. And I realized that I didn't want to be like that man. I didn't want to die without sharing what I've learned. And furthermore, I realized that all of us are like that man because we all have wisdom and knowledge 
we have all had experiences and learned lessons from those experiences that no one else could possibly have learned in the way that we learned them. And because of that, they're worth sharing. Throughout the course of this podcast, I have also learned that we are like the landscape. That even though we know so much, there is infinitely more that we don't know. And so part of what we do in the Dead Man's Forest is also listen to others and try and learn from what they know. Anyway, the first thought I have for you today is about creation, which is something we've talked about before. When we create, we first imagine something that doesn't exist, and then we work to bring it into existence. We are creators, creative beings. And that, of course, is the origin of art and invention, business, relationships, children, and more. Until I read this book, The Beginning of Infinity, however, I had never thought of science as being a creative process. But now I think it is. I've spoken in some ways disparagingly of science in previous conversations, saying that its aim was to deconstruct, to reduce the universe to its constituent parts so that we can understand them and perhaps more importantly, use them. And science devalues the stuff that exists, viewing, viewing it only as potential resources to be consumed and exploited. And I think that viewpoint was a mistake on my part. I suspect now that scientific research is every bit as profound an act of creation as painting or poetry can be. It differs only in its aim and its methods. Let me explain. I said the act of creation begins in the imagination and proceeds from there into reality. So Beethoven, for example, constructs the melodies of his Ninth Symphony inside his mind, then puts them on paper, refines them until he's happy with them. They are shared, and an audience, through listening, is able to behold a thing created in someone else's head. They, through listening, participate in Beethoven's creative process, and the musical ideas that Beethoven created are recreated by them in their heads. This is also how science proceeds. Newton, for example, sees the apple fall to the ground and has a flash of insight, a thought that no one else has had before, just like Beethoven. He guesses that the force of gravity, which 
by the way, was well understood in his time, at least insofar as to how it behaved on the surface of the earth, causing things like apples to fall. He guessed that gravity reaches higher, up past the branches of the trees, past the clouds and the atmosphere, all the way to the moon, and perhaps even beyond. He guessed that the apple falling meant that the moon, too, was falling. And this guess was every bit as much of a creative insight as... And in the same way, when you and I hear that idea explained, we experience the same act of creation that Newton did in understanding the nature of reality. Now, of course, the means by which Beethoven went about verifying that he had imagined a good piece of music and Newton went about verifying that he had imagined a good explanation are very different. And the difference here between the worlds of art and science is important. Art seeks, I think, to describe the shape of the interior world of the mind and how it relates to the exterior worlds of sound, vision, touch, taste, and language. Science, instead, seeks to explain the nature of reality with ever-increasing accuracy. But both of these are human processes, and both of them are creative. And both should never stop. Newton, it turns out, was wrong about gravity. Einstein's relativity tells us why this must be so. So, just like Beethoven's Ninth cannot be viewed as the perfect piece of music, there is no such thing. Just like that, no scientific explanation is perfect either. They simply get better and better, as presumably does art. All human progress is this way, through guesses, experiments, many of which fail, and false steps. We achieve great things. What makes us human is that we go on. We continue to create art and science and future generations of people to create still more art and science. And why do we do this? Why do we do this? I think we do it out of love. I talked about love in a recent conversation and I think I've connected two things here. As I've explained, I can't know things for sure, only make guesses. So here's my guess, my conjecture about what love is. Love is willing a thing 
to exist or to continue to exist. It might be a piece of art you create. If so, your love for the idea of that art created it. You willed it into existence. It might be for your favorite sports team who you want to do well so you can continue to enjoy their games. Your love for that sports team causes you to support them. It might be a relationship with another person that you pursued because you and they loved the idea that it could exist. It might be a child born of that relationship, a new person that could not have been were it not for love. It might be love for the earth, that she continued to be as she was when she birthed life and continued to give us what we need. And it might be for the universe as a whole, that it go on and on forever. By the way, I've spoken about that before. The idea that perhaps the end goal of this creative process and now the love that drives it is a person or civilization that figures out how to save the universe from its eventual collapse. I learned there's a term for this, actually. It's called an omega point universe. It describes the notion that a civilization has converted basically all of the matter in the universe into a giant computer or something like that. And as the universe gets smaller and smaller, as it shrinks, the, you know, in the, the distant future, the, the distance between all molecules shrinks and therefore the processing speed of the computer gets faster and faster indefinitely as the time remaining in the universe shrinks the computer's ability to process grows so on and so forth that it requires ever less and less time and so the theory goes that this process will never end uh, omega point universe i think it's a really fascinating idea anyway that's all i have for today i have a few more interviews coming up and meanwhile i'm going to be doing some reading on the nature of truth so i hope to have some interesting thoughts for you about that before too long thanks for listening as always if you have any thoughts in response to this any questions or if you'd like to just have a conversation please reach out to me on deadmansforest.org. And if love is the will for something to exist, to go on, then I want to say that I love you. And I hope to talk with you next time on Dead Man's Forest. Bye-bye.